You've searched high for marketing advice. You've searched low for tips on being a leader. You've searched all around in the middle for discussions led by experienced people. Well, look no further as we have all of that and more on CMO Combo. Marketing needs to start driving revenue. We've probably all heard some version of that phrase recently. What if we're all sleeping on the fact that marketing is already a revenue driver? That's the perspective of Angelie Mullins, CMO and CGO of Latan Brand Tracking. And she's here to explain why it's not so much about changing marketing to drive revenue. It's more about changing how we think about marketing and its position in the business to see that it's already doing so. You've probably seen the news about how short the average tenure is for CMOs. Make sure you don't just survive, but thrive with the Alliance's C-Suite Masterclass. Whether you're looking to climb the ladder or currently an experienced marketing leader, you'll find everything you need to navigate the modern C-Suite. Across four months, you'll learn from experienced executives from leading brands like Trustpilot, Slack, Samsung, and more on how to drive results, inspire teams, and secure your place at the table. Don't be another statistic about the tenure of CMOs. Instead, join the ranks of the world's greatest business leaders. Check the link in the show notes for more information. Hi, Anjali. Welcome to CMO Convo. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Well, nice to be here. Oh, it's great to have you here. It's great to have you here because it's a topic that we're talking about today that I think is on a lot of marketing leaders' minds, a lot of CMOs' minds, and it's positioning basically our entire industry as a revenue driver. Uh, so it's going to be a big conversation today. But before we dig into that, maybe you could introduce yourself to the audience, tell us a bit about yourself and, and why this topic was so important for you to talk about today. Uh, sure. So I'm Angela Mullins. I'm originally from the States, but I've been here in Berlin for the past three years. And my experience is leading commercial teams and commercial divisions. So marketing, sales, customer success, and most importantly about driving revenue and growth for companies, which is the main reason I wanted to talk to you today. Marketing, I think before has been seen as its own, I would say functional silo, but in a cave. And it's now really starting to emerge as the new revenue leader and revenue driver, especially with digital strategies and product-led growth strategies. Definitely, definitely. And then you're you're pretty well suited to talk about this topic as well, aren't you? Because you're, you're not just not just a CMO. I'm saying that in air quotes. You're not just a CMO. You, you fulfill other functions a lot of time, don't you? Yes, yeah, so leading sales and customer success as well. And then also my experience, I actually started my entire career in sales, uh, you know, leading sales and sales divisions, and then also everything from product and digital growth strategies. So I don't always like to box myself into just CMO. It's really, I'd say, commercial leader uh, and revenue leader across multiple markets across the world. Interesting coming to the position from a from a sales background. I think a lot of the, the issues we're seeing with the whole idea of revenue driven marketing is that a lot of CMOs, a lot of marketing leaders are coming to that position from a creative, from a marketing, from a brand background where those considerations aren't necessarily as important, I suppose. I mean, they are important. We're going to dig into that as part of this episode, but they're not seen as important. That's not the perception of it. Do you think maybe that background has given you sort of a broader perspective than a lot of CMOs, a lot of marketing leaders out there in order to be able to think about marketing in these terms? It really has. So my background, like I said, is growing divisions and growing different types of companies. And not only is that marketing, but it's go-to-market, it's sales, it's customer support, it's product, and it's, you know, it's very specifically product market fit. So yes, it does give me a broader background. It also gives me a broader view of which particular types of initiatives, campaigns, strategies will actually achieve revenue growth. In contrast, I've seen particular marketing leaders come from just an agency background or just a specific silo function within marketing, whether it be brand or performance or whichever it might be. And sometimes they tend to struggle 
because they only know one thing, they only know one track. And although they might be good at that one thing or that one track, sometimes it's difficult to put the picture together. Or if you're a CMO and you're putting together a particular strategy, you may or may not understand the impact it has on sales. And so this is where we've seen a lot of marketing divisions and sales divisions you know, have conflict because you don't have leaders. And it's not just marketing leaders, well, but also sales leaders where they just come from sales and they don't have an understanding of marketing either. And this is where you see these two different departments, butt heads or, or come into conflict. Definitely, definitely. So let's, let's sort of lay down some, some foundations for the conversation today. And let's talk about maybe like a bit of the historical context. Marketing, forgive me if I'm wrong here, Angelique, but I think traditionally marketing is seen as a cost sink by a lot of people outside of the department. Why is that the case? Do you think like, why hasn't it been seen as a real revenue driver until fairly recently in, in business history? This has to do also with the difference between a product-led and digital-led growth strategy and something what I call old-school sales. Mm -hmm. And I feel I can speak to this because I started in old-school sales, which is in the United States, we did 100% outbound, and we literally had to go to office parks and knock on people's doors. Oh, wow. That is the ultimate of cold calling. So we went from an era, and this was 10, 20 years ago, an era of that, to moving into the digital age. And everybody's heard of you know, data-driven marketing, data-driven decision-making. And now we've moved into this age of product-led growth. So 10 plus years ago, marketing, like you said, was seen as this cost center, as a silo, because it was, oh, it was additive. You know, we're just going to put some branding in there. We're just going to throw some you know, campaigns out there to add to the activities that sales was already doing. Now what we're seeing is the inverse. And what we're seeing in the marketplace is the majority of things are becoming digitized or digital and it will only become more so. So now it's people that understand digital strategies. Unless you have ACVs that are 500,000, a million and above, the majority of people, companies don't have ACVs that are that high. So you need a digital expert. So this is how marketing leaders, and I say digital leaders, are now starting to turn into the new revenue leaders. But the, I, I feel like this is still like a holdover from the perception, the previous perceptions. And I think that is coloring CMO's abilities to operate in their space at the moment. There is this expectation that you're going to provide, just pump out leads, do like all that old school stuff. And if marketing's changing, if um, the way we're doing marketing is changing, that entire practice has got to change, but still the mindsets aren't there. So is that what we need to do as marketers? We need to change hearts and minds when it comes to talking to our CEOs, our CROs, our CFOs, that kind of thing. We really do. And we need to start advocating for a place at the table. So in a lot of organizations, I will see CROs managing both marketing and sales. And usually they come from just the strict sales side. Mm -hmm and they don't have a great understanding of marketing either, that can be very deadly and dangerous if you have a digital product or a digital go-to-market and digital strategy. We also see within boards, a lot of people that have a sales background or a product background or tech background, but not a marketing background. So this speaks to what you were saying about 10 plus years ago, marketing was seen as an additive, a cost center, but the whole industry is changing. How we consume products, how we consume services is changing. And it's changing toward a more digital-led, marketing-led type of initiative. And, and we're seeing sort of the, the evidence of that in effect with some of the, the brands out there. There's a there's a company, I don't know if you're familiar with them, Anjali Gong. Um, they're, they're led by marketers. Um, the CEO is a former marketer. Yuji Lerdegor is an amazing CMO. And they're taking a very, very marketing brand for first focus when it comes to their growth. And it's 
paying off massively. Like they've just seen incredible growth. They're one of my favorite brands and I don't even use Gong. It's not even something that's in my sort of like wheelhouse, but I just love the brand and I love like what they're doing there. And I think it kind of speaks to sort of a change in how B2B is working as well from my perspective. Like the way that we're working is changing. The way that we're utilizing the tools and our tech stack is different. Like I'm, I'm using most of my tools sitting in my own living room rather than doing it in an office. So of course the marketing has got to change. Is that something that's sort of driving this along with sort of like the digital first revolution? But do you think maybe that's sort of the, the shift as well, more societal changes to how we perceive brands and how we use them? It really is. And in B2B specifically, B2B has had a lot of catching up to do. Mm -hmm. Brand marketing, go-to-market and digital was not even seen as a credible thing 10 plus years ago in B2B. And now it's playing catch up. You see a lot of, for example, Snowflake is a great example. They're doing OOH advertising. Mm -hmm. When did we ever think that we would see a company like that do you know, this type of you know, go-to-market or campaigns? You see a lot of B2B companies stepping up their game in awareness in connecting with their consumers. These are a lot of digital branding type of initiatives. And before they thought they could just go to market with a traditional sales playbook, it's not working anymore. And the sales cycles are taking way too long. And again, like we talked about, if your ACVs are very, very high and your sales cycle is a year and a half, two years plus, that might make sense. But the majority of companies are not in that space. So you need to connect with your consumer, identify their target audiences and who they are, and this is best done with a digital leader. And so this is why we're seeing the change in the space. You're starting to see CMOs advocate for this, advocate for themselves, advocate for the functions. And it really is paying off. At the beginning, for example, with scale-ups, you would see a lot of performance marketing. And you would see a graph go up and down and up and down because you have a lot of these short-term strategies. But now you're seeing these longer-term. So you talk about Gong, you're seeing these longer-term branding awareness initiatives and it may not be as fast but what you're finding is a better product market fit a more scalable product market fit and a longer trajectory over time so the whole marketplace is changing definitely definitely i, I want to circle back to what you're talking about the the short-term gains um do you think that's maybe because of like this focus on short-term games this fo focus on performance driven marketing do you think that's because of the pressures that CMOs are under? Like, we've all seen the stats up there. I'm sure most of the listeners have seen it. Shortest tenure in the C-suite. Like, um, like sometimes it's really worrying stuff like 18 months or something insane for certain growth stage companies. CMOs need to achieve as much as possible in a short amount of time as possible in order to keep their job. But then they can do all this stuff and then it turns into the long-term growth stuff that they haven't been focusing on, this brand building exercises. So it seems to be they're being torn and pulled in different directions and not able to actually really turn market, well, present marketing as a, as a proper revenue driver. This is a systematic problem throughout companies and frankly, throughout all functions. We see it in marketing because there's a lot of pressure, like you said, for leads, there's a lot of pressure for outcome. We also see it in sales and the go-to-market strategies. We also see it in product. I'm sure you've seen, I have as well, so many SaaS companies, we're going to go to market with five products without understanding if there's product market fit. What kind of pressure does that then put on sales, on marketing? And then you have the investor sitting in the background, hypergrowth, hypergrowth. And so everybody's doing this, what I call spray and spray. They're just throwing everything at the wall. 
This is where you're seeing the short-term strategies. This is where you have the graph that looks like a roller coaster ride and you never get sustainable growth. That's changing now. So now in 2023, investors are saying, okay, we're going to start sacrificing super high hyper growth gains for more stable, solid, sustainable, you know, type of growth and revenue. And so this is giving companies the opportunity now to really focus on, frankly, the things that they should have focused on at the beginning, product market fit, brand awareness, which products actually move the needle. Definitely, definitely. So this this shift, is it a case that marketing has already always been a revenue driver and we just haven't been able to present it properly? Or do we need to start really, really focusing on how to turn marketing into a revenue function? Like is, or is it a bit of column A, bit of column B kind of thing? In my mind, marketing has always been a revenue driver. People just haven't given it the love and the appreciation that it needs because it costs money. But on the same hand, what you see, what I'll call in the legacy type of thought process with over-index sales teams, we've had sales leaders that have come in and said, okay, we need 50 AEs to move the needle. Well, how much does the overhead for those 50 AEs and then all the BDRs and SDRs and the whole sales organization that goes with it, it's a huge amount of cost and overhead. But because traditionally businesses, you could create a calculation and say, every AE should bring in so many deals that was accepted. Now, when we have the transition to digital strategies and things happen much faster and ACVs are not as high and sales cycles are not as long, that doesn't really work anymore. So this is where marketing's kicking in. And now people are saying, oh, you can actually get a target audience much faster across the world. You can micro-optimize and it actually doesn't cost as much as hiring 10 A's. Um, And there's also this sort of the almost indefinable quality of marketing going back to what you talk about with brand and stuff like that as well like i've I've seen this meme floating around linkedin recently and it's um like this little comic strip it's of this person who's sees a product on tv sees a product on um a billboard sees it in a magazine and then they finally get to their mobile phone and go oh great yeah i've seen that product around click and then it cuts to a boardroom and they see oh this graph the spike from mobile say, oh, we have to invest all our money in performance marketing focused on mobile, rather than thinking about all the other journeys taking a customer to that point. And that's largely, I think, as well, due to the big focus on attribution at the moment in marketing. What, do, what are your thoughts on that, Anjali? So uh, multi-channel attribution has been something, especially in the past, I would say, five to 10 years, has been a big focus mm-hmm. with the rise of data-driven marketing. Then we have the debate of, is it first click or a last click attribution? Then we have this multi-channel, okay, how are they coming in? You saw the rise of content marketing, which I still think is king, especially in a, you know, a digital age. But like you said, there are so many different channels. Let's say something's put out in social, then you have a webinar, then it comes in on a blog. Then let's say an AE reaches out to them. It's a multifaceted process. And so this is where marketing and sales and CS teams, and I would say product too, are all working together to create the sale. And this is the transition. So I wonder if there's even a new word that we're going to call it, multifunctional attribution. Who knows? I'm sure there's going to be a word you know, coined for this. But marketing is a driver of revenue, but it has to play along with sales and product and CS. And companies need to look at customer acquisition more holistically. It's not just putting out a fancy brand campaign, putting out a performance marketing campaign, and you automatically get more customers. 
if you get people in a funnel and there's no product market fit, it's not going to work. If you get people in a funnel and the sales cycles, if there's an issue there, it's not going to work. So it's really this multifunctional attribution. Maybe that'll be a term later. I like that one. I like that multifunctional attribution because it, it does speak to all the different all the different, I'm going to use that word again, functions that these different activations can have, have like an event where you meet a potential lead. There's a lot of different things that can come out of that besides just pushing people directly down the funnel kind of thing. Like there's a lot of different ways you can open up their world, open up to potential upselling, cross-selling, all kinds of different things. So I, I like multifunction, definitely. Um, let's talk about this sort of holistic model. Obviously that requires a lot of great great collaboration between these different teams but they are separate teams and they do have separate goals and separate kpis that need to be working towards and i think that kind of can lead to a big blocks in collaboration and creating this holistic view what are your thoughts on how we can overcome these kinds of barriers between the separate teams it starts from the top i mean it's very simplistic it starts from the top and then your senior leadership team or your executive leadership team really understanding how all of these functional uh, functional activities help the common goal. So if the common goal for a single year is to get to X type of revenue or to have a certain amount of awareness or customer growth, or whatever it might be, each function has to participate to get there. And we've all seen within our own organizations, product has a roadmap, sales has you know roadmap, tech has a tech stack they're dealing with, Marketing has campaigns and these campaigns are waterfall and it doesn't match. We've all been there and we've all seen it. But the reason for that is because there's been a disconnect of at the very top, CEOs, the ELT, the executive team, really making it clear, this is what we need to accomplish in this calendar year, you know, whatever cycle it is that they have and making sure that every initiative in the organization goes to it. The one thing you can notice is if you go to different functions in an organization and you ask each team, why are you working on this initiative? And nobody can tell you why or how it connects to a larger goal, then you know you have a systematic issue. So it's almost like a, a company culture idea rather than just talking about like restructuring the teams or introducing new tech. It goes really towards just the, the ways that people are thinking about the work they're doing. Operationally. So company culture can be identified in so many different ways, which is a very long conversation um, down that rabbit hole, but it's how to operationalize something, which is very interesting. It's kind of funny when I used to work in the large corporations, the big fortune 500 corporations, so many teams working on different things and everybody was fighting with each other, nothing got done. And so there was a very large lack of how to operationalize anything how to get anything done, how to manage it. You see that with scale-ups as well. So it's not necessarily a culture piece. It's You can have a great culture, but they don't know how to operationalize and execute anything. And that's a problem. Definitely, definitely. And, and a word that I want to focus on is, is competing as well, because there, there is sort of that feeling between different teams. I think especially between marketing and sales, that there is this competition for resources out there. And I think that, that it does require a bit of like an education piece from the senior leadership. Well, hopefully the senior leadership can first get on side and stop competing with each other. And then there needs to be sort of this, um, this education piece that gets disseminated to show that taking away budget from one department to give to another doesn't necessarily undermine you. It's all still working towards the, the same goal, which is ultimately 
driving revenue for the company? You know, this is a really interesting one, Will, because, you know, at the beginning of our conversation, we talked a little bit about my experience coming from marketing, sales, CS product, a little bit of everything. And the difference if you have leaders, whether they're marketing or sales leaders, but they only come from those functional silos. Mm -hmm. And they may not understand if you're a sales leader and you want to do an initiative, what impact it has in marketing, or if it will help the awareness of the company at all. The same can be said about marketing. If you do a campaign and your sales department and your account executives are saying, hey, this doesn't help doesn't help us sell. So this is a fundamental breakdown within the leadership team to really understand the effects of their thoughts and their strategies and the operationalization of that on the department. And this just goes back to the last point that we talked about. Companies are very good at coming up in their, I'll call it virtual conference rooms now, what things should be. Mm-hmm. They're not great at operationalizing things and actually executing things. And this is where you're seeing those failures. You're seeing teams infighting, departments infighting. That should never happen because everybody should have the same goal. But if they don't have the same goals, then you're setting them up against each other. So let's hypothesize for a bit. Let's let's talk about maybe this process in action. Let, let, let's assume that the C-suites aligned. They've all got together and said, like, okay, we need to start working together better. But the teams aren't. Where should the C-suite be looking in terms of giving an audit to work out where things need to be operationalized, where things need to be addressed to get collaboration going um, effectively? You know, this is one of the things I've seen in the C-suite. You will get the executive leadership together and they will think of their own strategy and what on a macro level, how the company should move forward. But the interesting thing is in some corporations, none of the staff are, are taken into account meaning their thoughts, they are the front lines of the organization. They actually know best, but sometimes their opinions, their thoughts are not taken into consideration. So this is where you have a disconnect of the C-suite and we've all seen it in companies. They come out, they have a big conference or a big meeting, here's the big plan and everybody on the floor is looking at them like, how are we supposed to accomplish this? We don't have the tools, we don't have the capabilities. Did you think about this? And the answer is actually no, they didn't think about any of that. So it needs to be a mix of top down and ground up. If you, It's actually easier to influence and get adoption of your initiatives at the executive level if you have that mix of top down and ground up. Because you will have what you call those micro influencers throughout the organization saying, I'm just making this up. You know, your head of product or your product lead and your operations lead and your CS lead and so on and so forth. They're saying, yes, we were part of creating this plan. We believe it can happen because of X, Y, and Z. And it flows a lot easier. But what you talked about is kind of bringing, you know, a, an idea or a plan to market and you get that deadpan response mm-hmm. because it was obvious that it was thought up in a cave. And there's no disconnect or there is a disconnect and there's no um, real relation to people who have to execute it. So it's less telling people we need to start working together better and more asking them questions why aren't you working better together and how can we help you work better together? So there is this sort of collaborative two-way conversation. It is. And, you know, there's different philosophies. When I started my tech career at Amazon, they're very well known for these cross-functional micropods. And there's this different kind of theoretical debate. Should you have functional silos, a marketing department, sales department, so on and so forth? Or should you have, for example, the team at Prime when I was working there? They had a product person, a marketing person, 
Um, everybody's supposed to do data analysis. So I won't say they had you know, an analyst, but the idea is, is it's cross-functional. And so automatically people are forced into a situation that they have to work together and take all of their different skills and knowledge and work together towards a common goal. And I did see how teams were able to outproduce, be super efficient. Now, as a company scales, can you do it that way? There's different you know, philosophies on how you should do it. But if you have a very specific go-to-market initiative, if you have a very specific project it is a very good practice to actually do. Put your marketing, a salesperson, a product person, a CS person, you know, a data analyst, a tech person, all in one room together and say, this is the goal, how to achieve it. And you will get so much better results. And it takes the whole you know, departments and teams fighting out of the picture. So it's a really good way to at least start. Definitely. definitely. I mean, I think we, in, in sort of like the marketing department itself, we kind of see the, the appreciation of uh, having these sort of like micro pods of cross functions, sort of like uh, the effectiveness of a copywriter and a designer working close together, that kind of thing, and working together with a customer marketer as well. Like having all the different functions within a marketing department working together in concert in these kind of pods works really well. So I can see the advantage of that doing it interdepartmentally as well. Um, the only thing that I could see running into a problem with that is who has the authority or is it based on maybe sort of a a case by case project by project basis? Like who takes the lead in these pods? This is why I said it's, it's different for different companies and you can't take one philosophy, for example, at Amazon and apply it everywhere else. There has to be a decision maker. We've also seen, I think the other side of the pendulum where there's this decision by consensus and everybody has a decision. So there's no decision and it doesn't really work. Whoever it is. And it's very specific to each company, but Whoever is a decision maker needs to be appointed. And in my view, it needs to be one person. One person needs to have the final authority to make the decision. So it's hard for me to say, because I'm I'm not sure, you know, from the, from the listeners, you know, their particular companies and their situations, but a single decision maker, whether you have a pod structure or whether you have a traditional functional, you know, structure, a single decision maker. But I do think that this cross-functional thought. So even if it's not a pod, put together a cross-functional committee, Mm. do something. So in your analogy, you have, you know, a copywriter and a designer working together. That's great. What if we added a salesperson Mm -hmm. and a salesperson said, look, when I'm pitching, you know, this particular product or service to clients, they may or may not understand this positioning, or this is what they're really asking us. And you can upstream that into your marketing flow. So this is where I'm a strong believer of getting people together you know, I did it once at a, at a previous company and I even involved uh, developers and developers were in the group and they don't know anything about design. They don't know anything about marketing or sales, but they're like, look, I can code it in this particular way and we can do different things, you know, with the website. And everybody's like, oh, this is great. And, you know, they felt part of the team and now you have this inherent cohesiveness. And I just, I'm really a believer that I see a lot of this being lost amongst teams and it affects production it affects revenue definitely definitely it, it affects sort of the efficiencies as a whole like if you spend a lot of time in a silo wondering and thinking about oh can someone in a different department or a different team actually do this idea that i'm thinking of like if you're thinking of a new sales methodology in the marketing department if you're thinking of a new kind of um 
any kind of content that you want to roll out or something, some kind of interactive thing, and you're sitting around wondering, like, will the, will the dev team actually be able to do this? But if you have the dev team in the room with you, have the salesperson in the room with you, they'll be able to comment and guide you towards something that is actually possible right from the outset. Right. And this actually solves the issue that we talked about just before about strategies not being thought through throughout mm-hmm. the whole organization. So if you involve people at the beginning, you're going to get that sussing out of what's a good idea, what's not a good idea, what will actually work, what's actually product market fit. If you took the sales team of every organization that's on the front line of talking to customers, they will tell you very quickly what's a product market fit. And then throughout the organization, the marketing team can adjust. Or if the marketing team is being allowed to actually put the brand out into the world and get more general awareness, then when the sales team is on the virtual line with the customer, they're like, oh yeah, I've heard of that company. Oh, I've seen some. Versus this happens a lot of times in scale-ups. They tell sales teams, just go out there and just pitch. And a lot of times the end client has no idea you know, who this company is and why should they care. So back to the thought of the integrated system. And so this, I, I think I'm liking this multifunctional attribution yeah. term because I really do think this is what it's going to be in future. And so, yes, marketing leaders should have a seat at the table. They're going to be the ones driving revenue. And I even almost hate to use the term marketing leaders because for me, it's really digital leaders. And that's so much more all-encompassing. But digital leaders are really going to be the front runners for revenue yeah, acquisition in future. Definitely, definitely. So let, let's talk about maybe how you see a marketing department working in the future, like a, a revenue driving marketing department that might already exist actually we don't have to talk purely in hypotheticals let's let's talk about like what does the setup and what does the function of a revenue driving marketing department look like so it really depends on the product but if we took a product led or a digital product the way it would look you would have definitely a pod or a group that focuses on brand and awareness when you have a digital product or product led it's about the brand. And I don't mean necessarily campaigns, but campaigns that connect to consumers. We did a few webinars last year about this. And when you go to market and you put out campaigns that connect to your audience, use real people, real situations, these people are voting with their wallets. And you see more sales, more revenue growth immediately versus what I would call the old school Nike ads just put some glitz, or I'm sure you've seen, you know, probably in the last few years, it's all these celebrities. Yeah. You know, companies are spending millions of dollars, euros, whichever currency, and they're getting celebrities just because people know them, but they're not connecting. That's also changing. So number one, someone or an entity within the marketing department that focuses on not only brand, but awareness, super important. Then I would say from there, customer acquisition. This is a tricky one because especially in a lot of scale-ups, they go to market first with performance marketing because you need that hyper growth. Customer acquisition does not always need to be performance marketing. It can be a very strong content department if that's what moves the needle. It can be product marketing if that moves the needle. It can be what I call life cycle marketing, you know, taking your current cohorts, putting them back into play, feeding them back and forth to the sales team. There needs to be a lot of testing done to figure that out. You have... This term nowadays called growth hacker, Mm -hmm. I'm not actually a fan of that term. I really believe that term is something that's been kind of 
catchy and it's thrown out there. It basically means you do everything and nothing at the same time. And you are the person, yeah, you're, you're laughing because you know exactly what I mean. I exactly you're what the mean. person that has to do all of the micro experiments. And if they don't work, it's all your fault. But then if they work, then they take them away from you and give them to somebody else. So I'm not a fan of that. I think everyone in the organization should be growth hacking or there should be you know, 20% allocation that we just allocate towards experiments for future. So this is where I'm saying, eh, I don't know if that should be, but um, brand customer acquisition should definitely be there. Social, I think should now be its own. So in some companies, it is its own department and some it's not. It really needs to be its own thing. Is that organic social or paid social that we're talking about? Organic or both, or both? together. It together. needs to be its okay. own in my view, and again, this is all with a caveat of it depends on your product. Mm -hmm. But depending on what your product is, social, the rise of social commerce, especially as AI moves forward, as digital-led strategies move forward, social commerce is going to be the thing. And it will be the main driver in the future. And most people, when you wake up in the morning, at least I do, you're on LinkedIn, you're on, you know, your TikTok, your Instagram, whatever you're on. Um, for those who are more geeky, maybe you're on your GitHub, you know, whatever you're on. But everything is social commerce, social influencing. And so this is why I think it's going to be super, super important. I also think that marketing departments should have their own mini tech team. So whether it's website development, whatever it might be, own mini tech team. And then PR and comms is one of those things, depending on the company and the product should also be there. So it, there's these different moving needles, but I think this is the basis, the foundation of how it should how it should be. And and that still fits within this idea of collaborating with different departments, working with all the they, all these different functions that you described there. I think every single one of them should still have input from sales, input from customer success, mm -hmm. success input from product, like um. Going back to the brand one, that's one that we've often, well, historically, lots of people thought, oh, salespeople shouldn't have anything to do with talking about where the brand should go. But as you say, they're on the front line. They know they're speaking to customers and they can get the gauge, the temperature of how much a customer likes the brand and what things need to be changed. They know which brands perform better than our brands and more effectively than just looking at sort of data streams and stuff like that, because they're talking to the actual customers. So having a salesperson... Having a say on brand, I'm not going to go so far as saying that we should have salespeople coming up with all the brand stuff because that'll put me out of a job. But yeah, like having input from sales on that on that function makes perfect sense. And I think it makes sense with all the other things you described as well, Angeline. Yeah, you know, the interesting thing, you know, specifically talking about brand, brand has been one of the oldest initiatives in the world, the original initiative. And it's the one that works the best over time even though you have performance marketing and customer acquisition strategies and growth hacking, even though I don't like that term, you'll get those short-term waves, but it's brand and brand awareness that is the long game. Mm -hmm. And it is the only game. And that's why you have Nike, these companies, Apple, that we all know and love. People are loyal to them, not because of their performance marketing strategies or their email lifecycle campaigns. They're loyal to them because of the brand and they identify what they're putting out into the world, what their values are. So that's why I say it's a long game and it's really the only thing. You can change your performance marketing strategies, you can change your customer acquisition strategies, your email, your social campaigns, but it's very difficult to change your brand and your brand identity once you've gone down. There really is a point of no return you know, at some stages of company's growth. So it's super important that you get that right and you're connecting with consumers. 
And so just like we talked about before, it used to be, I used to work at GoDaddy, for example, they, you know, would sponsor race car drivers, you know, all kinds of sports people, and that's okay. And it can work. But I think now the market is changing. People want to see people like them up there on campaigns. They want to know that their values align with the values of the organization. So previously, we've been looking at things like mental health, sustainability, and you see a lot of companies following with this. We you know, brought up issues of postpartum depression, men showing vulnerability in the workplace. These are things that actually move the needle and got customers more intrigued and got customers actually buying more because like we talked about before, they're voting with their wallets. So the whole industry is changing. And that's why the integration of all of these functions is so much more important and to recognize these changes. And it's actually sustainable over time. And a lot of investors now are looking for that predictable, sustainable revenue growth. This is it. The integration of the functions, understanding the product market fit, relating your go-to-market, that integration between marketing, sales, product, customer success, the integration of that to the customer values. These are the things that are going to you know, move forward the needle. And of course, you know, marketing is a huge piece of that. And the customer values, they're going to be even more important moving forwards. I know they're already important, but if you look at the data around um, Gen Z, Gen Z, whatever, however you want to pronounce it, there's yeah a lot of data out there saying that they are going to vote with their wallets. They are going to choose brands that align with their social values. And that's not just within the B2C world, it's in the B2B world as well. Um, this up-and-coming generation, I think they've got the highest, highest on record of people who have stated their intentions to become entrepreneurs rather than work in the corporate world, which means they're going to be people buying the B2B products in the future. They're the people who are going to be setting up businesses and buying all these, all this MarTech and this tech stacks and stuff. That, And they're going to do it based on values-driven stuff. They're going to want to work with companies that align with their values because they don't want to buy from companies that don't align with their values. So why would they want to be a company that isn't aligned with their own values at the end of the day? And I think it's it's this idea of, sustainable growth based on connecting with the customers more directly. I think that's the real revenue driver of marketing to bring this full circle. Angeli is it's that's what marketing does. It allows you to get in touch and contact with a customer in a way that other departments just can't do. Exactly. And that's really the heart of what marketing should be. All the rest of it is peripheral. All the rest of it is, I would say the gift that keeps giving, but it's the basic of the basics of aligning who you are as a company, your product services, the value around that, and the value you give the customer and why you're there, what you believe to the actual customer himself or herself, that really is what, what will create that in the future. And it will be much more sustainable over time. The flip side though, is you're not going to see these huge hyper growth graphs. And so I think now the investment community, because of the economic times that we live in now, they're really starting to say, okay, we're now looking at companies that have true product market fit, that have sustainable growth. Maybe it's not super fast, but sustainable long-term growth because these are the companies that will survive over time. These are the companies that have strength in their numbers, all of the KPIs that we all love and know. And these are the companies that will continue to grow and innovate uh, over time. But you know, marketing, like I said, is a huge, huge piece in that. And I really think in the next 10 years, Right now, the majority of CROs, chief revenue officers, are being sourced from traditional sales backgrounds, which I think is a mistake. 
I think in the next 10 years, you're going to start to see them source from marketing backgrounds because marketing leaders know how to create demand and also how to sell. And this is the piece that's going to make marketing and say marketing and digital uh, so much more valuable in future. Definitely, definitely. So on that topic, just maybe to, to wrap things up, Anjali, is um, let's say there's CMOs out there who are from these very, very traditional marketing backgrounds, these brand backgrounds or agency backgrounds, or people who are on the path to the C-suite, that's their big goal. What should, they, what should they be thinking about? What skills should they be developing in order to really fit into this, this revenue driver marketing that we're talking about here? Like, like, it's all well and good saying, oh, I know how to write some amazing copy. I know how to produce a brand that looks amazing and deli- and people like. But when it comes to revenue dri- driver, what are the mindset? What are the skill sets that marketers need to be honing to sort of fit themselves into this brave new world? In my view, it's understanding as much as you can about the other functions. So from my own experience, it was very unique because I started as a salesperson leading sales teams. I know what it's like to pitch a client and to be on the line to get that deal, do forecasting, get revenue in the door. I've also done tons of go-to-market. I know what it's like to actually push a product forward and get a product created and push it out the door. So for those marketing leaders that don't come from that background, take classes in your own organization, do job shadowing. I'm sure every AE in your company would be more than happy to throw you up there on the phone and you know, start to do some sales pitches, job shadow, go through a product life cycle, not from the marketing standpoint, but from the product standpoint. What does it take to actually launch a product? Technically, put it out there, get the updates, get as much cross-functional knowledge as you can, and not just from the macro perspective, but from the micro perspective of actually doing it. Your whole worldview as a marketing leader will open up a thousandfold. You will now start to think about the implications of your strategy, your decisions on other departments, and you will automatically become a better steward of the company and a better leader. And of course, it will help your career. Great stuff. I think that's a great note to end on there, Anjali. Thank you very much for joining us today. Um, I, to be honest, I, I came into this episode thinking like, oh, there's no way we're already in the state where marketing is a revenue driver. It's still, it still is a costing, but I know I am I'm definitely converted here based on this conversation. It's just all about presenting it properly to other people within the business, I think. Exactly. Definitely. So thank you very much for joining us today, Anjali. I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I'm sure our audience enjoyed it as well. Thank you very much for our audience. Um, we'll be back soon with some more CMO Convos. Like what you heard from this CMO Convo? Make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave a rating so the whole world knows how great it was.